Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by Golden Artist Colors, manufacturing in upstate New York Golden Acrylics, Williamsburg Oils, and most recently Core Watercolors. An employee-owned company committed to producing the highest quality materials while maintaining a culture of stewardship and community involvement. I've used Golden for over the last 20 years or so, and I swear by it. The pigment, colors, and the quality, it's the best paint out there. For more information about Golden Artist Colors, call 1-800-959-6543 or visit www.goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is supported by Topo Designs. Based in Denver, Colorado, Topo is committed to creating quality bags and clothing that stand the test of time. Check out their products at tobodesigns.com. Sound and Vision is also brought to you by Charter Coffee House. Charter is on Graham Avenue in East Williamsburg, just one block from the Graham L stop. You all know that Charter is my go-to coffee shop, and I was excited this week to pick up some paper plain coffee from Charter that's roasted right here in Brooklyn. You can find out more at chartercoffee.com or follow them on Instagram at charter underscore BK. Will Weisenfeld is a musician who is known by his stage name, Baths. He was born in Tarzana and was raised in Woodland Hills, and he currently resides in Culver City, Los Angeles, and he records on the Anticon label. In fact, you're hearing his music right now. Will is a classically trained musician and began learning the piano at age four, and he recorded his first piece of music at age 14. He released a few projects, including an album titled The Fabric, as his previous moniker, Post Fetus, and he also ventured into a more ambient style with his side project, Geotic. Will released the debut Baths album, Cerulean, on Anticon in 2010. It was listed by the AV Club as the 21st best album of 2010, and it also made Pitchfork Media's Album of the Year honorable mention list. On November 16, 2017, he released his fourth album, Romoplasm. I met up with Will while he was on tour, and in town in Brooklyn and caught his incredible live show at Elsewhere in Bushwick. Here's me and Will talking music, art, anime, and more. Totally, totally, totally. So that was a good show last night. Thank you very much. How did, it, how did it feel? It felt really good. It's kind of like... It's this thing, though. It's like the second, not even when you arrive in New York City, but 30 minutes up to arriving in New York City when you're driving in. From that point until 30 minutes once you're outside of the city, everything is elevated and more tense and more... um, Anxious? Excuse me. (laughs) Anxious, but also exciting. Like, it can be good and bad. It's just all experiences are heightened or rushed. So I'm still in that realm. Like, I, if I'm talking kind of fast this morning or I seem distracted, that's kind of what's Energy. going on. Yeah, and it's basically antithetical to how I live my life. Like, I am a very mellow person at home. And, like, I live, like, 45... Oops. <laughs> I live, like, 45 <laughs> minutes outside of Los Angeles. Yeah. So... Quiet area. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, everything about the way I formulate my home life is intentionally to mellow out my surroundings yeah so new york is literally the polar opposite of that where everything is like that like all the time and constant social obligations also in a good way but you know what i mean yeah it's just heightened the energy is is totally different did you grow up in california i feel like you might have i did i grew up in uh los angeles but um mostly in the san fernando valley and then from there i moved uh all around the San Fernando Valley, and then I lived in West LA for three years, and now I live in Valencia, which is like super far. Yeah, uh, it's near like Magic Mountain, if that's a reference point. Okay. Um, and then I don't know. I love West LA though. That's still where I'm trying to live. It's just so expensive. We basically got priced out. So yeah, but you're a lifer. Yes, I think so because like it's in your 
it's in your flow. It is because of touring. It wouldn't be oh, yeah. if I had never toured. If I had never toured, I would have a hankering to live somewhere else. Right. But the amount of touring I've done in the past like six to seven years, it's just like I get why I like L.A. so yeah. much. Like it's it's made more sense to me being away from it. Right. You know, and I guess you're not adverse to driving. No, I love <laughs> driving. I mean, like I'm driving this entire tour and it's uh, easier for me if I'm driving on yeah. tour. I love driving. Mm. I really, I teach in Pennsylvania and I drive when I'm mm. not teaching this semester, but when I'm driving, it's like, you know, just under four hours there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, when I come back, I, that's how I got into podcasts. That's how I, I kind of go into this zone. It's totally a zone. And a long time ago, I was in a band and we would tour and mm. I always wanted to drive. Mm. Like I have that thing with, if I'm in a car, I yeah. want to drive it. I mean, are you often... It's the same because it's it's for several reasons that it's like it's uh, it's mostly because I actually get dizzy. I get dizzy really easily. I have a weak stomach and like if I'm not driving the unpredictability of it, like I just you get queasy. Happens. Yeah. I get queasy really fast. I can't look at my phone. I had to do like other business type texting and arranging this morning in the lift on the way here. And I'm already dizzy oh, from yeah. it. And it was only like 20 minutes. So I'm just like, Ugh. well, New York drivers too. will add a little bit to that <laughs> queasiness, <laughs> like cabs and the car services, yeah. the stopping and starting. And yeah. It was a lot of that. It was a lot of that. Yeah. So it's you're not adverse to driving on tour though. No, very much. No. Um, I, I drive all the time and I prefer to drive. Um, it's just like, I don't know what it is. It's that it's the sick, not getting dizzy thing, but it's also like, um, I feel like there's more freedom that it's like, if I suddenly decide like it's time to gas station or time to whatever, I don't know. I also come from, uh, having toured solo by myself in my car. Yeah. Like I did three full laps of the United States and Canada, like solo in my little like so blue nice. yard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And exactly. So for me, it was great and it was a very Zen state experience and it in that um, feeling kind of carried over into driving now where it's like I like to be driving because then I can sort of make split second decisions where I'm like suddenly inspired to get off the freeway or do yeah. something or whatever. So. You're in charge. Yeah. I have a control thing too. Where I, I was about to say, I think it's a control thing, but I didn't want those words <laughs> to come out of my it's mouth because okay. it sounds right. so much worse than it is. But it's like, I think that might be what it is. No, but I've taken like a mega bus or one of those mm. you know bus things. And the feeling that if I really want to stop right now, I'm you not cannot. stopping. I get yeah. that in planes too, where... Mm-hmm. I mean, I with a plane, you're a little more resigned. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> with a bus, it's like if I really make a stink, I could get out of here. But in a plane, it's just you yeah, know, you're trapped. You, you deal with it. <laughs> but there is a little bit of a feeling like I'm, I'm in here. Exactly. Especially when I can fly to Japan, it's a long flight. It's a long flight, but those flights tend to be more accommodating. Like oh, the yeah. flights to Japan uh, versus like flights to Greater Europe are yeah. usually like so much better. It's They're nice. in Australia too. Yeah. I haven't gone to Australia, but that's even further. Isn't it's it? even further, but it's like, it's, it's good. Especially if you do Air New Zealand, it's like, they're very solid. I mean, you could just sleep too. Yeah. Watch movies and sleep. Yeah. That's what I'm just realizing how it's like such a jet setter conversation. Like, oh yeah. Like the, my, my, my flights to Japan <laughs> and Australia, they're so easy compared yeah, well, to you. Yeah. But like, <laughs> but it's still like, it's true. They're yeah. better. They're, they're more accommodated, uh, for the long flight vibe. I think the ones right. to Europe are usually just like. Deal with it. Yeah. And like deeper <laughs> traffic, like they happen a lot more often. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So when going back to when you were growing up in L.A., how mm-hmm. did you were you always into music? Yeah. I started playing piano when I was like um, one. Four. No, <laughs> no, no, no. When I was like four, yeah. to be fair. Uh, did you like um, it? I feel like people who take piano, they either loved it or hated it. Well, it started um from an unemotional perspective in that way, I was doing it because I wanted, because my brother was doing it, my yeah. older brother, he's two years older than me and I wanted to do what, everything that he was doing. So it was just like, he's doing piano. I want to do piano. So, um, I like didn't even understand what piano really was in relation to the musical world. And I thought it was like a cheesy instrument because yeah. I didn't think it was famous. <laughs> like it was, I remember that thought process of like, like it's like a starter instrument? Yeah, or, or not even. Like I thought it was unpopular, and so I was hesitant about starting it because I thought it was like an instrument that w- wasn't around. Yeah. It was very weird. But then uh, as I started playing it, I was like, oh, yeah, everybody 
plays piano. Were you, were you playing on a piano piano? <laughs> piano or? piano. Yeah. Like my parents, uh, I was lucky enough to have like an upright piano in our house. Oh, nice. Uh, from a very early age, from like a year, I think, after my brother and I had started, it was like my parents invested in the idea that my brother and I were going to get very good at That's piano. That's a commitment. It was a commitment. And uh, I still have that piano to this day. So it is a huge positive investment yeah. that they made because I use it on all my records. It's like the thing, like because I'm the one that still actively plays piano all right. the time, like I'm able to keep it in my apartment, in my bedroom. So that must feel amazing. like a parenting win for them. Oh yeah. It's like, yeah, that I would, off. I would think so. <laughs> I would think so. Were they creative? Your parents? Yeah. My, my father is a screenwriter and my mother is uh, an artist and like was mainly an oil painter, but she's moved to um, watercolors and like um, botanical art, which nice. is like really like scientific and precise. Yeah. Uh, and then like, I like illustrate like you, I would imagine those kind of like know, scientific illustrations. Scientific, almost. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That you have to be like scientifically accurate right. or those paintings are like not part of that legion of art or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then my father's claim to fame was uh, Anne of Green Gables, uh-huh. uh, the teleplay for that uh, screenplay that um, I think there were three other writers or two other writers credited on it. But he when it was like time for him to write the draft and do mm-hmm. the thing, basically like threw them in the trash and then like <laughs> started over. Cause that's like his specialty is yeah. adaptive screenwriting and he's been doing it forever. And I think that was early on in the, in the process, but it's still like that is, he's like excellent at that. That's amazing. So, I mean, yeah. how do you get to that? I I'm, don't know. I'm a rewrite. Yeah. Like I just yeah. like <laughs> take this and make it, you know, like for me, I, I do everything from scratch, like, yeah. uh, like original work and stuff and writing and like adaptive writing or like a uh, reading comprehension in high school, all of that sort of stuff. That was the absolute most difficult thing for me. So it's always been really impressive to me that he's able to do that. I was yeah. just like, I was, v- I fell very short on that. Uh, do you, uh, do you ever, set. do you ever remix? Cause in a way, right? Yes. But I think it's a very different thing. Remixing. You're not fixing something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're just sort of like, your take. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's the funniest thing about remixes is the less you like the original song, the easier the remix is. Oh really? And I tend to only choose songs that I really like. So it ends up oh, being harder than I want it pressure. to be. <laughs> yeah. And then you just like, if you love a song, it's like, you don't want to change it. You're like, Oh, these are the things I like about the song yeah. because there's that many things that you like. You don't want to fuck them up. So right. I don't know. It's a weird thing. When you hate a song, it's like a thrill to remix because you're just tearing it up and like doing a whole bunch of yeah, <laughs> your yeah. type of starting stuff from it. scratch. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So was he always how did he get to I mean, he wasn't local from L.A. originally. My dad. No, no, no. Um, Work Canadian. Both my parents are Canadian. Oh. Uh, my dad is from Winnipeg. My mother is from Ottawa and they met and married in Toronto. Nice. Um, where they I think they had both lived for quite a long time. My mother was in. Uh, production and I think she was producing a TV show and my father was writing Sorry. and they're funny by default yeah <laughs> I think so <laughs> they have a sense of humor yes yeah yes do I would you, like to think so right do you uh do you feel any kinship to Canada in any way uh, I'm very, sure you go when you play there right yes very much so it's a great uh, place it's great and it's also my bandmate uh, Morgan is Canadian he's oh, from yeah. Calgary and uh, the reason that we are even working together and that I know about him and his music is because of the group Braids that I toured with them way mm-hmm. back and they're also a Canadian band from Montreal so I toured with Braids and it was incredible and they're all great people and uh the they showed me this group a Zeta booth in the middle of touring that they were they were like kind of suggesting without trying to get too in my face about it but knowing that it would be basically my favorite band yeah and they're like you should try this out uh, you should listen to this <laughs> it fucked up the whole trip for me because I was like oh my god I can't stop listening to this and yeah. it was literally every day like the entire album and one of their EPs that they like tagged on to a burn CD uh-huh. the end of it like just the whole thing cycling through shuffling through it was like saturated your whole oh my god thing. totally changed my world and so um, wait so he was in that band that was his band okay. uh, with Jordan Hosick and uh, I think four other guys it was Chris Reimer uh, Mike Atkinson Mike Wallace and oh and then uh mark rimmer and I this think is that was the whole group this is band band like yes. instrumentation and yeah exactly yeah. like it's it's but it's this perfect perfect flawless blend of electronic and band instrumentation and that it's like all the electronic parts of it are like really 
smart and accentuated by the band and vice versa yeah. that it's like it's this really seamless integration of both of those things it's not like in the middle of while they're playing it's like here's the synth line or like here's the synth melody and then it goes away it just goes back to a band it's like super immersed and uh tied together and that's like that was immediately the appeal to me is it's like oh the way he produces is the way that i like to think about what i want to accomplish yeah. with music where the integration of those things is so seamless that you don't think of it one way or the other it's just you only think about the identity <clears throat> the identity of the band mm -hmm. it's just like this just sounds like a zeta booth and, and that's it doesn't what sound like anything else. that's something you wanted to yeah with my own attain stuff. towards yeah totally and it's like there's very it's a very difficult thing to figure out if you're actually accomplishing that because you're too close to your own yeah. music but it's like just having his music be such a part of my life has helped that much more yeah. that it's been an inspiration and I, I listen to it constantly and it's like anytime I'm kind of stuck about like what I want to accomplish I always go back to the records that are really important to me and like why I love them not uh -huh. necessarily exactly how they sound but like what is it about this that was so appealing and that is Ada Booth full length in flesh tones mm -hmm. is what it's called is like it just continues to remain like one of those things that's just so full of identity it's yeah. so much its own record and there's nothing else that sounds quite like it so I, I don't know I obsess over records like that well when you were when you were growing up playing piano were you listening to certain music and were there stuff that you were connecting with early on I'm smiling really big as you're asking <laughs> me that because it was like basically all new metal <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> really it was like corn and slipknot and oh, like wow. a bunch of like and like American head charge and mud vein and all these other like goofy new metal bands uh and mo and i not to like i am not trying to call him out <laughs> on this but that was how we bonded when oh, we yeah? first started hanging out is we one of us brought that up and then yeah. both of us were like oh my fucking god like <laughs> we were both super into metal and like new metal stuff and i don't know somehow that i guess is like the perfect combination where you just have so much new metal that at some point you hit a turning point and discover bjork and yeah. then you go way off the deep end. And yeah. so like that was both of us. We both had that exact same uh, listening pathway that mm -hmm. we were both deeply into new metal and then just something happened and each of us separately heard Bjork and like fell into a huge K-hole. And then we both got into like, this is completely separate from each other. We yeah. don't know each other yet, but right, we've right. talked about how we both had this thing. Um, Mo had, uh, Mo was like really into Autekker and mm -hmm. far more experimental stuff than I had been used to, even though I was really into experimental electronic. I was leaning more into the like softer side of it and more at, uh, atmospheric. But I think it's not to say we weren't both listening to everything. I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Basically just like, it was great. Yeah. We both listened to a ton of stuff. Uh, and the second we found electronic music, it was just so different right. from anything we'd listened to before that we both separately K-holed very hard. What is, what was like the more, because I mean, I was a huge Autekker fan. Mm. What was the abstract stuff that he was into? I mean, Autekker is pretty abstract. And yeah. that's, for me, it was like... Like I, Oval and stuff like that? Or? I think so. But like uh, when I say abstract and when I try and like tout him as being deeply into experimental stuff it's like deep forum stuff right. like where people are posting tracks that only six people in the world oh, okay. hear yeah. and then like will delete because they're self-conscious about it like that was the realm that mo was in and yeah. like has a ton of music that he showed me that pretty much nobody has ever heard but it'll be like oh this is like one of the best produced tracks i've ever heard but this guy doesn't like sharing it so like yeah. you and i are like the only <laughs> people hearing it in north america and i'll just be like tight yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i get to tap into his world of that he's stuff going a deep more. into that oh stuff. yeah and he still does like in a really in a really amazing way so i get to hear things like that every now and then um and him being as much of a fan of autecker as he is i wasn't before we met mm -hmm. like i'd heard of their stuff but it like leaned a little too far on the outskirts for me yeah but him just sort of taking the time to like give me proper entry points and then like build me up to like the tougher things like right. he did the whole like scientific uh whatever it would be like route to yeah. getting into them and it it was like the best and now i'm like a way bigger fan than I ever expected to be like two years ago. If somebody said like, you're going to be really into Autegger, I would be like, like, 
And they're, bet. they're really still funny. going too. <laughs> oh they yeah. Just released uh, fairly recently that one black and white cover one that's really yeah like good. that one or Elsec is the one. It's funny because it's like their newer stuff because it's the stuff that's just coming out. I tend to get really excited about it, and yeah. I'm like I've listened to that more than any other. Yeah. release of theirs which mo has been saying is really funny because it's so long yeah. and so experimental it's like it's what like six hours yeah. or something like that yeah. but i have it on a giant exercise playlist that i'm listening to it all the time and now they're doing this like nts sessions thing uh-huh. so they're doing four different blocks two hours each of new material so it's like i'm getting another LSEC, but it's a totally different thing. That's We're cool. listening to it in the tour van yeah. as it's airing and stuff. There's a little bit of that, like I heard last night, a little bit of that, like crunchy kind of mm-hmm. uh, abstract stuff thrown in. But oh, it's yeah. so melodic and it's so, it's it's housed in, it's like you're sneaking it in there in a way because there's so much of you with, the, with your singing and then all that. Mm-hmm. But uh, okay, so before we go into last night, real quick. Yeah. So growing up, did you high school, you were still playing music? Were you in bands? Were you in new metal bands? How did you get to where you are now? Yeah, I was I was in bands. I was basically in like a an emo rock band with my brother and yeah. our friend uh, Lee. And it was like. It was it was really good and it was its own thing, but it was kind of like um, already me wanting to do some experimental stuff, but it didn't make sense with what we were doing. And then uh, I met my friends. Uh, Luke and Mario later on and Luke is the guy from Anamanaguchi, mm-hmm. the drummer of Anamanaguchi mm-hmm. and he and I went to high school together I've known him for a super long time and then uh, my friend Mario is one of my closest friends the two three of us started like an instrumental rock group mm-hmm. and so towards the end of high school and then like like the last year of high school and then the two or three years after that that was like our thing was like being in that band and we were like comfortably situated in our like local scene in LA and it Wait, was did you play drums guitar? I played bass 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 guitar yeah and none of us sang it was like instrumental stuff and it was really inspired by um uh American football and I'm laughing oh, at wow. that because I I still during the whole time we were a band had never heard American oh, really? football but yeah. that's who you were but like Mario's guitar playing was very very inspired by that American football were they jade tree or something like that I can't remember. It was kind of like uh, Pele and... Yeah, 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 exactly. And it was like uh, like members of, I think, Captain Jazz. Okay. And yeah. um, I don't know. It was like the, our listed influences were American football and like Don Cab, Don Caballero and a couple yeah, yeah. of others. And um, so I... Yeah, very exactly. Like mathy, instrumental mm-hmm. rock. Uh, but we fluctuated a lot in dynamics. We would go like really, really quiet or really, really loud. Uh, and we tried to do as much as we could with just being three people. And what what fun. year roughly are we talking? That's a good question. I only know it relative to like my schooling. So it was, yeah, like after high school, two years after high school. So I think in my brain that's got to be like 12 years ago now. Yeah. 10, 12 years ago. That sounds I'm like the right gestation so. period of that kind of mathy stuff too. Totally. It was like very time appropriate and... Yeah. A total blast to play and there was like there was zero self-consciousness about being a band in yeah. that way like all it was was fun like a hundred percent all the way through it was like like we were s- accomplishing artistic things but you never thought about it like that like we were literally just having the most fun we could possibly have because when we first met to attempt being a band mm-hmm. we all brought these other ideas about what we wanted to do and i brought like my laptop and some other shit to try like doing some tracks with what we were doing and then we ended up just fucking around like bass drums and guitar yeah and that's easier that way. yeah and it never stopped being fun like the second we started doing that it was like oh this is a blast yeah. and then uh we ended up being able to write that way really easily we would just kind of feed off each other and like we're all composers too mm-hmm. like Mario writes music Luke writes music uh Luke writes music like professionally like daily he work he works for, for like other a, people or, or for like um for films though kind of yeah for like a like a commissioned writing yeah enterprise mm-hmm. thing uh and so he just basically I'm only mentioning that because it was like all of us would kind of write each other's parts too yeah. like we would have our fundamentals but somebody would like Luke would be like wait can you do that baseline like higher up mm-hmm. so that when this part falls in it's louder or you know what I mean like we all had different suggestions for each other yeah. that people could like take or leave but 
it was just the perfect collaborative environment for us all. It was great. How did that dissipate? Because that sounds like a pretty good setup. It was great. It just it sort of um, fell off because we moved to doing other things that were more to our individual likings, yeah. not in a bad way. It was right. just kind of like Luke started working with Anamanaguchi, and mm-hmm. I think he ended up moving to New York around that time. Uh, and then Mario was doing his own recording and I was getting really serious about the baths stuff, post stuff at the time. Um, and so it just happened that way. But, um, none of us are like, we didn't have like a bad breakup. Like we would still be down to jam and like do shit again. Yeah. It'd be really fun. I suppose too, just musically, like with the genre of what you're doing, it's Mm -hmm. at a certain point you wanted to break off and try different things. Yeah. Um, and the th- fun of it, getting back to it, would be to see what we could accomplish with it again, I yeah. think, but still have fun. So you started working on your own stuff. Yes. And then after high school, did you did you continue with school or did you just focus on music? I started with school. I started going to Cal State Northridge for media composition, um, thinking that I was going to write music for commercials and yeah. uh, movies and all that sort of stuff. And um, in doing it, I was like excited about it initially, but I basically sort of slowed on the process because I realized how much that world wasn't for me doing like just that professionally like that being my entire life because it's like the more that I did assignments the more I felt um creatively drained and I was recycling ideas and I just it just felt very unfulfilling and it was kind of a telltale sign that everybody in that program I think was way better at it than I was and like not in a way that was like maybe super tangible but it was like easier for them to have that amount of music yeah. come out of them in, just a, something they could in do. a productive way yeah exactly whereas like it's not that I'm not productive it's just that I write differently I write really selfishly not yeah. in a bad way just that it's like the only music I can write easily is music that I'm writing for myself it becomes much harder and takes a lot longer when I'm writing for somebody else yeah and I start becoming much more self-conscious about the process and like I said, recycling ideas, like I start to get really weird about that. If I ever hear myself doing that, I feel like really shitty. So um, it was a lot of dealing with that mentally and then sort of coming to a point about a year and a half in where I was like, OK, I'm going to take one semester off and see if I can do anything with my own music and see if I can like accomplish something. And within that time frame, I did. I had given a demo to this group Jogger mm-hmm. who are... Um, it's one of the guys from that podcast, Oh Yeah Dude, Jonathan yeah. Larrikid. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Amir, who is in The Voids now. Julian Casablanca mm-hmm. is in The Voids. And both super talented dudes. And their band I loved uh, called Jogger. And I gave them my demo. Your thing. demo tape? My demo. <laughs> it was way weirder than that, which I think also may have attracted some attention. That it was packaged in a, like a cellophane, I guess. Uh, eight and a half by 11 with three sheets of paper that I had done these like really designy, like, like printed out things on. And it said like the name of the album, really big, the band name, two CDs. One of them was the record and one of them was like a bonus EP and a full lyrics sheet all included in the demo. That's a way to get, to get someone's attention. (laughs) It was like a thing and it was like oversized, but at the same time, because it was so flat, it could like fit into a backpack. (laughs) That was kind of the thing was whatever. So I handed that to him, but not before like we had or to Jonathan, but not before we had sort of like chatted and shot the shit for a little bit. And I think he was like basically down with my vibe. Like I didn't come across as desperate. Mm -hmm. I was just like, you guys are tight. And like, this is my realm is like electronic music and like experimentation. Like this is all I do. So if you're curious, here's a weird demo. And he liked it enough uh, that he thought he should pass it on to Alfred or Daedalus. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Daedalus, liked it enough that he was like, Hey, let's meet up and chat and shit. And we had like a coffee and talked about music and then shit sort of escalated from there. And then Alfred from the very beginning from that time had like been looking out for my stuff and like helping me get started playing more shows, meeting more people in the scene in LA. Yeah. And, um, cause he had been doing it for, Oh yeah. For quite a, a super while. long time. He's like a, a, a veteran in the most noble sense of the word right. when it comes to like being a veteran of the electronic music scene. Like he's just like the dude and yeah. he's championed so many people's music who are just starting out and like didn't know what to do. So he's like a, an invaluable person yeah. in, in regards to that entire scene. Uh, and he, I think anybody would speak about him that way. He's just like the dude. Yeah. So he, um, helped me get a bunch of shows and uh 
initially had me meet up uh, through my manager with Sean from Anticon. Mm -hmm. And so he and Sean had known each other for a while and it was kind of like a comfortable but heated discussion about who was going to put my record out because uh-huh. Alfred really wanted to and Sean also wanted to on Anticon, which for me, I was just like, oh, like this is crazy. I can't yeah. believe they want to put out my record. Um, and both of them came to an agreement that Anticon would make more sense for me to have my my stuff out on. And so that was how that happened. And then, A nice move by Alfred. Yes, very, very cordial. That's yeah. sort of what I mean is that yeah. he's just like, he genuinely only wants what's best for people and like, works to make that happen even if it's not in his own best interest it's like the the greatest the most you could ask for out of a out those of a are good people oh yeah and not always easy to come by exactly exactly <laughs> that's why i always sing his praises because people should know um yeah. but from there it was like like i think the actual s- signing and anticon stuff happened well after that semester i had taken off from school but it was like enough was sort of rolling yeah. that I was like oh this is a serious thing you felt and the wave pe- yeah and it was like I think singularly it was like people that are important in that world that I want to be a part of think my music is that important yeah so now if I put enough effort towards making that a reality then it could pan out and so I was comfortable enough being like okay I'm not going to be in school right now because I want to make this my focus in the biggest way possible and it worked out yeah. and I, I haven't really gone back to school. I actually went back for a semester to a community college near where I live to get inspiration for <laughs> the record that I just finished oh, really? for Romoplasm. Yeah. What went, did you take? I took like um English lit and Japanese and like um screenwriting and a couple mm-hmm. of other things. Did it feel good? It was great. It Isn't was, like education wasted on young gear? Like I feel like the older you get, <laughs> yeah, the more, the more you want you it. want to learn stuff. Totally, but totally. when you're younger, you're like, I'd want to get out of here. Yeah. And the problem is that it's like so much of it is not specialized and you don't even realize that you can get it specialized. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there's fundamentals that I understand should exist for like really young kids. But yeah, the thrill is when you realize like, oh, I can learn exactly what I want to yeah. learn about. I can go to school to just like learn how to write screenplays. Right. It's like the greatest. But sometimes it takes time to under, to know what you're interested in. A hundred percent. It's not like you just graduate high school and it's like, okay, now I know exactly what I want to do. My brother is like the best example of that. It took him a really long time to figure out that he really liked geology, uh-huh. like obsessively. Yeah. Um, he was in school doing tons of different things for a really long time and just didn't land on it. So he felt like a really, uh, like a negative relationship with schooling because he'd been doing it for so long but still hadn't centered in on something. But then very suddenly and very hard fell in love with geology. And like he has his master's and he's like working in that field now. It's just like the greatest. It's the old adage of like if you love what you do, you never work. Exactly, exactly. But if you hate what you do, it sucks. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And it's funny, the parallels between what you were talking about before and like art is so similar in a way. There's so many people who go and they're assistants for other artists Mm -hmm. and it taps out their creativity. It starts to bleed into what they do. They get exhausted. You know what I mean? Or, you know, like kind of like finding the gal, like having a mentor, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Alfred, like someone who's there. There's so many people like that who will introduce you to the right people or sort of like get your foot in the door. Totally, totally. But it is really important to make those connections and just be out there kind of, yeah, you know, to have the radar on. And that's what it was, is that it was like every opportunity I had, especially early on, was like a thrill to me. Like I just loved meeting people and meeting people, especially who did music that was like outside of my realm. Because I felt like it just broadened my horizons and like broadened my life experience where Mm -hmm. it was just like, I just want more of the world. And music is like this magical railway that takes you to all these different places that it's like all you, (laughs) you don't even need to like introduce yourself sometimes it'll just be like oh i know your music and you're like wow cool and yeah. they're like yeah let's talk about this and this and this right thing. it's just like like for all the good music has done for me emotionally more than anything else it has been the greatest icebreaker ever yeah. that it's like i can meet somebody without having to introduce myself sometimes that i really want to talk to right it'll be like the best thing that i yeah. can like i can mention some offhanded thing about something i've done or like somebody I've worked with and it'll just be like, Oh, I connect on this and this immediately yeah. and we can chat breaks now. the ice. Yeah. It's yeah. But great. you seem pretty, um, 
socially kind of like in you know enabled. I, s- I seem that way because I am conversational and I pride myself on being that way, yeah. especially like with fans and stuff at shows. But like when it comes to like a social gathering where I don't know anybody, I'm really bad at just like throwing that out. I'm right. like I can get a lot of social anxiety starting off. Yeah. But if I'm like um but yeah, if I'm in it and I'm conversating, it's very easy for me. I think uh, I get a lot of social anxiety, especially in like large group surroundings, yeah. because then there's this weird mentality that comes up that I'm not like spending enough time with all the different people that right. are there as if that's actually important that I have to do that. You know what I mean? It's like this weird thing. So in my own life, small group Hangouts are like my favorite shit when yeah. it's like three to six people. That's like three to six max. My Zen. <laughs> that's like my Zen social situation. Yeah. Well, you so. figured out a good uh, sort of way to deal with that, though, because last night mm-hmm. you're in a large group setting, but you're on stage. Yeah. <laughs> so you're running the show. You don't have to worry about like you're automatically connecting with everyone. Exactly. And like, I can just like talk bullshit on the microphone for like yeah. an hour and nobody can say anything about it. I it's mean, they can, but it's like, you know. Right. But you're contextual. immediately sharing with the group. Yeah. 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 You yeah. know, whereas if you have an art opening and you have like eight paintings on the wall, or whatever, mm-hmm. you're in that setting to where you feel like, oh, shit, I got to talk to all these people. What if I yeah. don't? And it's like in a, in a softer way too, where it's like only like one or two at a time and you have to keep moving right. around. Whereas it's like, I can just be like, I like dads or yeah. whatever on the microphone. And then <laughs> yeah. everybody's like, Oh, one, he's gay. Two, he's into older dudes. Three has a sense of humor. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. just like, it's totally a thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, but it seems like you seem very comfortable in that setting. Yeah. I, th- I think I've been touring for long enough that it's, it's not scary yeah. anymore. It's like, I just remember how fun it can be. And you tap into that every time you're playing a show and just like, just try and make it fun. It's literally the hardest thing for so many bands to remember that they are performers. Right. And that when you're playing on stage, yes, you want to communicate your art and yes, you want to have like a really intellectual and stimulating experience. But literally people are paying money to like have an experience and have fun, whether that fun is like, listening to really intense emotional music or dancing or whatever, all of those are facets of fun. Like feeling emotion to me yeah. are like facets of fun right, right. and experience. So dark or light. Exactly. It's like you're exactly. going to have an experience. Exactly. Exactly. And so people that like don't remember that. And even if they're playing darker music, don't try and like make themselves enjoy it. You know, it's yeah. just, it's so much harder, especially if you're doing touring for a really long period of time. It's surprising how many people don't take that into account. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about the fact that of thinking of how you're engaging with the crowd. And then, you know, there's the adage that maybe these days, younger generation is going to have a harder time connecting with people because everything's so mediated. Mm-hmm. But then uh, if I think about when I was on tour playing with bands, all the bands that I was with everyone was really quiet (laughs) and no one like there was no like hey everyone like someone comes into the green room or if if someone did it was very rare and you were like and it was usually what's wrong with them yeah they're (laughs) drunk or they're high or something you know but but yeah people were really quiet and kind of like territorial and Mm -hmm. yeah I remember we played in New London Connecticut and we opened up for Cat Power Oh, crazy. And she was so, we were hanging, well, not hanging out. She was in the same room we were in before mm. and just not a word. Oh. So like shut down or yeah. like quiet, you know, and then we were also just like. Mm, like but that's how it happens. It's like, it can be like that. That's yeah. the thing is it's like, I've had touring experiences like that too, where people like keep to themselves in a nice way. And sometimes it's decontextualized from a greater tour experience. Mm -hmm. Like there are times where like I've played shows and like I am quiet and I'm like, and even if there are other bands, they're like local opening bands or something like that. Sometimes I just like need the time to myself. Uh, And you never know. Sometimes it's that sometimes the person is rude and they're just like, no, I don't want to talk at all. Right. Um, And we were actually like talking about that uh, with regards to some other old show experiences that we've had in the past. It's like a fun thing to like, Gossip when you're on tour about stuff like that. Do people have an expectation from you that they think that you're going to be a little more gregarious and like open and because social media does. Yes. Your sense of humor is revealed. I think that 
people who have followed me for long enough on social media, I think it's clear that I am a lot of different ways. And so like if I'm at the merch table and I'm not like screamingly excited right when somebody walks up, I think people usually meet my manner. You know what I mean? Like I don't think I've had a problem with somebody rolling up and being like, you look sad or like you're not super excited. (laughs) They'll just be like, oh, he's mellow right now. And they'll be a little more mellow to me. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody has any expectations like that. I think yeah. it's I think it's good. I'm like human enough online <laughs> that I think I can like keep that flow through most of my life. So. Yeah, it's just funny because yeah. like in thinking about making artwork and how you share that with people, it's so removed. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And even I think most of the people I know who you know, or successful artists who are on social media, they don't really give too much personal stuff. It's totally. more about the work, the work, the work or whatever. So, yeah. you know, when you go to meet an artist in an opening or when I go to talk to an artist, I don't know. I have mm-hmm. no idea what these people are like. They could exactly. be the sweetest people in the world or they could just be curmudgeon and not want to say a word, you totally, know, totally. and it's interesting. But I, I think, you know, when you're sharing your work visually, mm-hmm. there's this expectation that people will bring their own you know, conceptual engagement or whatever it is, emotion to that work separately from the artist. In a totally. Way. And they'll come to you like with all those things right when they meet you. And sometimes you're just like, I'm, I'm literally just hanging out right now. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> right. trying to get into a deep philosophical discussion, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Blah, yeah. Blah, blah. It's, it can be, it can be tough. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think like I would so be in my social media realm, regardless of music, yeah. like, like it's always been a part of my life. I grew up with like online being a thing yeah. in my life. Like it's in my bones. So there's, it's never been uh, a conscious separation or anything like that for me. Like the same way that like people get nervous about technology and how much it's taking over our lives and all that right. sort of stuff. That's not a thing for me. It's like a seamless integration, literally circling back to the first thing we talked about, yeah, yeah. how my favorite music operates in much the same way that it's like, you don't have to consciously separate them. They can coexist and be a really cohesive whole. Yeah. It's just not a thing that people like to live with and like to think about as being a constant, you know what I mean? Right. So like my favorite music is stuff that is like that, where it's just a, really comfortable and interesting integration of both those things where you don't have to be a hundred percent one way or the other. And that my life is sort of like that too, like social media and living in like an online and digital realm and using computers and phones and all that shit in my actual like life presence. I don't have to keep them a hundred percent. See, I think older people do it more because they know life before that or they've mm-hmm, experienced mm-hmm. social life so strongly yeah in such a different way yeah exactly. and then all of a sudden when you're like 30 years old or something and then boom mm-hmm. everything's out there then there's like oh i've got to orchestrate mm-hmm. or i've got to separate or whatever but yeah like, like consciously like i have to try and keep these two things different yeah yeah, yeah i yeah. mean imagine my son who's been around it you know on instagram since he was like yeah. seven or something <laughs> yeah, you know what exactly. i mean there's not even it's not even a big deal like there's no no, no it's never it's never going to be like a self-conscious thing yeah. probably for him. It's just going to be like, oh, that's part of life. Yeah. That's how it goes. Yeah. So that idea of letting it all kind of be, mm-hmm. um, it to me, maybe I'm misinterpreting, but the new record seems a little more open or specific about certain... Um, totally. I mean, like topics. my... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my, my inspiration for a lot of it, like I keep talking about like fantasy realm yeah. stuff, like that's the main word that I keep coming back to because so much of the stuff that I am deeply passionate about, like the stuff that genuinely inspires me and gets me going and makes me want to make music and write is like fantasy realm stuff, Mm -hmm. stuff that is not rooted in like real world stories or real world experiences. Yeah. Uh, It's like as far from that as you can get sometimes. Uh, So I just like tapped into that knowing that that's actually my most honest realm. Like because that stuff inspires me so much, it would be, disingenuous to like not indulge that at some point in a very serious way. So I was like, I want to make like a serious feeling record that takes those fantastical things and other world things like as seriously as I would take songwriting about like the death of a loved one or something like that. Like just being really hardcore about it in a way that's maybe off putting or cheeky or seemed or, or seen as like, um, there's a really good word for it that I can't remember right now, but um, 
like that, like like um, facetious, maybe mm-hmm. not facetious, whatever. Yeah. Um, basically, just taking it seriously, even though it, it doesn't feel comfortable to take it one hundred percent seriously, right. at least from a musical perspective. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, campy. I think that was maybe the word I was. Okay. Well, because the core ideas, whether it's rooted in fantasy or mm-hmm. you know storytelling of day to day life, it's the yeah. same thing. Exactly. It just comes in a different package. Exactly. Exactly. And so the package that I prefer is one that is more difficult to pull people into in a in a serious way, right. I think. You know what I mean? There might be a connecting so. thread there with Bjork and New Metal. Totally. I Fantasy. mean, 100%. That's yeah. my realm. That's like all of the stuff that I got, excuse me, all the stuff that I got inspired by was like, like it was always some fantastical or visual element to the thing that like I latched onto really, really hard. Like all my favorite movies are extremely visual movies. And yeah. I'm obsessed with like illustration and that's like my whole phone is just like full of images that I've saved and I'm constantly updating it and like keeping myself inspired or <laughs> horny because a lot of it is like <laughs> gay illustrations. One stuff. or the other. <laughs> I mean like that's the thing is it's inspiring. It's like it's inspiring shit and it makes yeah. me want to write music and I can't like coming out of the closet was like the last time uh, I was ever going to like not be honest with myself. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so when it comes to art and stuff, it's like horny shit inspires me and makes me want to make music. So yeah. I just have to like ride that wave and I ride that with everything that I feel inspired by. Are there so. specific artists like contemporary artists that you're really into? I mean, I mean, I know that you're uh, again with what you share and stuff. I know yeah. manga and anime and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, Obviously that's, I would basically be giving you a lot of like Twitter handles or Pixiv <laughs> handles, like a right. lot of like online people in a giant list that yeah. I follow hundreds and I'm inspired by all of them all the time. Um, so it's harder to point out like fine art stuff, but I mean, I think the, do you know Massive? Do you know the company Massive or like Massive Goods uh, or Gay Manga? They like, it's basically I, I like, don't. it started kind of as a clothing company and then they also now um, publish in English a bunch of gay manga uh-huh. from Japan uh, and like translated. And they are like the biggest thing that I think is kind of this bridge between like uh, fine art and then like, um, Non, non-traditional gay manga and anime and shit like that. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like one of the main things that I was like screaming about how happy I was that it was becoming popular because it was like, this is my shit where it's just like giant Japanese dudes and beautiful, like super um, ornamented illustrations mm-hmm. and like everything about it was just like gorgeous and celebratory and positive. And that was something that, uh, I had latched onto from a really early age that there was so much gay artwork that I didn't identify with because of how negative it was. Right. That it was just kind of like, this is cool, but it's a story that I have heard all my life and it's making it harder for me to like come out and yeah. like harder to engage with it in the way that I want to. Whereas um, the first time I saw like a cute gay illustration and it was like a it was a Japanese thing on a website a really long time ago and the guy was like super buff and everything about it was like just so pleasant and positive (laughs) I was just like what the fuck is this I've never seen anything like this and I couldn't stop and it was like it just helped me envision this realm of positivity and normalcy right about gayness that I had never seen and it, it it was just something that like that had never went away. And then I think Massive is one of the first companies to popularize mm-hmm. that art style in like the Western realm of stuff outside yeah. of outside of Japan and a lot of East Asia. So it was like a big deal for me that that was becoming popular because it's like this shit is literally the reason I was able to come out of the closet yeah. and have the confidence was that I could start to envision like a positive realm of the shit that I was into as yeah. opposed to like being tied up in my own thoughts forever and like never telling anybody about it, it. It's so funny and kind of ironic too, because that's stuff that exists in Japan, but homosexuality in Japan is such a closeted thing. Oh yeah. As well as Very any other so. sexual rep, everything's repressed. Totally. So it comes out in these kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. books, drawings. The magic of it too, is that I've like made friends with the people who, who run massive mm-hmm. Graham and Anne and, uh, Graham, like, is literally working on a documentary called Queer Japan. Yeah. And he like went there for something like six months and like did a ton of interviews with a ton of queer people and like is trying to learn as much about that as possible and give like a narrative about that to like uh, 
Western side of the world about right. like how repressed, but also how interesting and all over the place and like exciting and different it is. He's yeah. just trying to give a full a full portrait of queer culture in Japan. And That'll it's be like, really interesting. It's I awesome. Think. And he's asked me to provide a lot of music for it. So nice. hopefully when it's done, that's all still yeah, happening. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like I've seen a lot of footage from it and it looks beautiful. So I'm really excited. That's really it. cool. It's so interesting too, like the sort of mixture of femininity with masculinity in Japan and mm-hmm. how it's just like so okay, but then sexual. so repressed at the same time. But I think time, it's just yeah. all sexuality yeah. is repressed. It's not just, you know, like homosexuality. Totally. It's just. There's like, there was one thing he was telling me about where there's a bar that's just for uh, men. I think or women to basically just feel comfortable trying on clothes of another gender. Yeah. It's not even like labeled as like this is where you go to hook up or anything right. like that. It's literally just like come experiment with your gender here. Yeah. And it's like a small bar and there's just photos of people like safe like zone. men and yeah, yeah, safe zone, exactly. <laughs> and I was just like, that's like the best shit ever. Right. That's like the coolest <laughs> bar experience I've ever heard of. And like Japan is full of pockets of things like that yeah. where it's like very experimental thinking about queerness and about art and about everything else. And it's yeah. like, it's been a constant source of inspiration. A lot of the shit from East Asia. Do you I go like a lot help. to Japan? We've had the opportunity to go to Japan a bunch, like four to five times in the context of, or four, four times in the context of touring yeah. and playing music, which has been incredible. And one of those times we were able to build up like a two week vacation before starting oh, nice. shows there, which was great, but I've never spent an extended period of time there, but that's still like, the ultimate goal like I would love to like be immersed for long enough that I can make music out there in a way that's like fully inspired by it and all that stuff but it's just like the financial world right. of making that happen is tough and confusing and I'm not necessarily going out there to like teach English or anything like that I'm not on like a, a program that right. makes it easy so it's tougher but it's something I would absolutely adore being yeah. able to do um, it's such a great yeah. place yeah. Yeah. And the inspiration, I, you'd probably be overwhelmed with all the inspiration. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Like already every time I go there, I have like, I have to have an actual full day start to finish, uh, by myself in mm-hmm. order to go comic shopping. And it's like, I don't even hit like a 10th of the shit that I'm trying to, but it's like, I go so deep. I have to buy a separate suitcase each time I go to like bring back manga. Yeah. <laughs> Game manga. I have like a whole thing. The uh, the the course that I was teaching or the program that I was teaching there, mm-hmm. um, I teach the sort of art between the West and the East and Japanese mm. aesthetics. And then there's another teacher who teaches manga and anime. Wow. And so a lot of the students, of course, are really into that stuff. And they go there and they're just like, I can't, they cannot <laughs> believe it's like it's so literally deep. the pot of gold. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like everywhere too. It's and they like, just dance around like leprechaun. Like they're yeah. just eating it up in game centers. Oh and my like, God. There's like, uh, hold on. I want to get my phone out. I want to get my phone out to show you this photo of me. That's like <laughs> the most centered thing I've ever seen. Uh-huh. Um, hold on. It's uh, on my Instagram and I'm, I'm going to roll back. It's like not very far. So give me one second. Sure. Um, but just to show you a, a basic like like basically a portrait of me more in my realm than I have ever been where I was basically browsing the boys love section of uh Mandarake for like two hours or something like that and I went through every single one that they had it's like my absolute safe space I was just sitting there and like I told my friend I was with a friend for part of that day and I was just like you can just come back for me I'm gonna be here for an hour that's beautiful isn't it (laughs) (laughs) Just like getting lost in the stacks. Oh my god, it's such a nice thing. It's like, the way people like like have their fingers like cut through piles of vinyl, like looking for like that right. one cool record or whatever. Yeah. That's that's me with boys love manga, crate and, digging manga. Yeah, yeah, that's like, and I never get that way about looking for records. Like I love music, but I'm not. I don't obsess over finding physical records in that way. But yeah. absolutely, I do for like boys love manga. That's like my shit. Yeah. Well, I don't want to keep you too long, but a couple more things that I want to ask you. One is about other music. Like what mm-hmm. other music are you into? Like what's all the influence and like it kind of fluctuates all over the place. Like I'm a very um I I my feels about things change all the time and it's something I I'm very comfortable with like when my tastes move around. Mm-hmm. Uh 
or that I try to tell myself I'm comfortable with so that I'm cool with those things right. happening. Like I like to think of myself as like a water person. You know what I mean? <laughs> if I was an yeah, elemental yeah. thing. Yeah. So it's flowing. Exactly. And always changing. So um, it'll fluctuate a lot, especially within a single day. Like I can have tons of separate moods for stuff. I have my safe spaces where it's like experimental electronic pop is like my thing that mm-hmm. it's like I'll always come back to that and always be comfortable but uh, I like a lot of experimental rock stuff. Uh, I like, I've been listening to a couple of like black metal things or metal things that are just like uh, intentionally very negative and dark and like it's a nice thing to indulge in. Yeah. Uh, and then there's like, I also really like Gregorian chant, but sure. it's like, it's not as satisfying to listen to because it's not, um, there's often not as many chords because it's usually defined by yeah. just like a single train right, of right. things. So I'm trying to like find more old religious choral music that's like a thing that I'm starting to get into more uh, that I was certainly into when we, I was working on this last record that was another thing tied in with the oh, English yeah. lit course that I was doing the conceptual like, side of it right yeah uh, so that was really fun um, I don't know it's just it's kind of all over the place and I'm very open to having people tell me shit that I should listen to right like I write down a lot of band names and try and keep track of shit and take people seriously because a lot of my favorite bands like a Zeta booth yeah. are suggestions I will get from other people. So I have, to, I'm like more than anything else. That's usually where I'm most open to stuff is if somebody's like, you should try this, like knowing you, you should try this. I'll be like, okay, yeah, yeah. that sounds very good. Have you, did you listen to a lot of Sufi chants? Like, no, Nus- I haven't. No, Nus- no, no, no. is really amazing. I'm about to get my phone out. And like Zakir Hussein, like that percussive stuff that's just trance like is really nice. Oh my God. Can I can I hand you my phone and ask you to make a note for me? You know what? Before we leave, I'll just okay. write it all down. Perfect, 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 perfect. <laughs> but yeah, there's that stuff. I would get lost in the studio. It's nice to hear, like whether it's Autech or mm-hmm. you know, long droning stuff that. Totally. And you know, like I went through the Philip Glass and like Steve Reich phase and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But yeah, that kind of like repetitive chanting stuff is really nice. Yeah, there's and, there's a band, a Japanese band actually called. Um, Nisen Nenmondai, have you heard of them by I any don't. chance? They uh, opened for battles apparently when they were playing in Japan. And it's like, if you're talking like mantra-ish, repetitive stuff, it's like the most distilled form of that, that it's almost intimidating, that it's mm-hmm. like they'll have 11 minute songs that I'm not exaggerating are one note yeah. and like played, like it'll be like on right. the beat of every measure, just bass, guitar, drums, just like pretty good played for like, 10 minutes straight and it's like it sounds like you would hate it but the more you listen to it the more you're like oh my god this is amazing and it totally just takes you somewhere else it's crazy sounds pretty good and you know who i thought of last night i don't know why but there was like a little sonic thing in it but i was wondering if you had ever heard of them she's eating the snacks (laughs) (laughs) is uh do you remember the aluminum group no i've has Richie told me about them by any chance? I don't know, awesome? but I was just wondering if you were ever into their stuff. I don't because know. the yeah. last I feel like the show last night felt a little more emo than I mean that's fair. I definitely have a huge emo influence yeah. shit. Which is great. Like, I mean that's yeah. I feel like you know, I grew up in emo. Like mm-hmm. that was everything. Like yeah, every yeah. basement show, every you know, actually yeah. and I was thinking there was a there's a band called Braid. Yeah, that I've heard I would, people we would go see, and yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like unwound and stuff like uh, all this emo stuff, and mm-hmm. and then that went away, you know. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and I feel like, and and so did a lot of live performing of instruments. Yeah, you know, it yeah. just kind of like became inconvenient. I feel. Yeah, and, and separating like an emotional vocal from that stuff, yeah. like that, it would be kind of removed or moved to different things or right. whatever. Yeah, it became yeah. stylized or whatever it was, yeah, yeah. and it's kind of faded. And I felt like last night you were tapping into some of like it was totally different than some of that early stuff that I used to see. But it was nice to feel like that has the energy. Yeah. And that energy was undeniable. Like when you would go see the makeup, Mm -hmm. I mean, that was energy. That was the whole thing that I agreed with myself like really early on about live performance is that it's like I want it to feel like that for the bath stuff that it's like I'm communicating uh, my most passionate ideas. And if I don't appear passionate when I'm doing it, then it's like I'm wasting everybody's time. You know what I mean? It's like I have to come across as like, I care about this way too much. Right. <laughs> and so that's No, but like that's how, how you say, I mean, that's yeah. if you feel it and obviously you're feeling the music. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. how you 
connect with the crowd. You know, mm-hmm. as soon as you started singing and moving around, taking those first few steps, mm-hmm. you could see heads in the crowd just start to move. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, okay, this is okay. I can, I can, I can have fun. <laughs> I'm gonna, I can enjoy this and feel it. Totally. Know? And that was, I think, one of our more like engaged New York audiences. Yeah. Like we've had New York shows where literally people are completely static. Right. Uh, so it's always good. Also in Brooklyn, it's more likely for people to like be a little looser and yeah. move around. But like the couple of times we've played in Manhattan, it's been very like, <gasps> not yeah, to, yeah. not to talk shit no, no, on Manhattan, it's but it's like same people. It's how it goes. It's, you yeah. know, in a way, just a different context. Yeah. So. It's a little more. I mean, someone barfed right next to me last night. And oh I was like, God. wow, I haven't seen that in a long time. <laughs> And I thought it was going to be like a 20-year-old girl or something, and it was not. She was older. She oh was way too old to be vomiting at a bath show. Oh, no. Oh, my God. It was great. Shout like, out to person. I know. Whoever that was, <laughs> I hope you're feeling better. But I, I, it was another connection from like an old kind of yes, old show that stuff, I would yeah. see, you know? But yeah, that was pretty great. I love it. There was a cleanup and out, too. They fixed it in no time. <laughs> I mean, that's the other thing is that venue is amazing. I'm it's really super, nice. super stoked about it. Like yeah. I've had friends telling me about it since it opened about like, you should play there. You should go or whatever. Next time you're in New York. It doesn't dip- disappoint. Oh right? my God. Not at all. And now I did. I told you I did uh, visuals for Logan Takahashi mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. and I've done visuals for him at like Warsaw and I've done a couple things here and there, but that I place is elsewhere is really professional. So, good. Yeah. so professional. Everybody there was amazing. That's cool. Well, yeah. I'm glad you had a, great new york show yeah me too I mean, it was a lot of fun thanks for inviting me or you know putting of course me on the of list. course of course no problem at all. You had a great time and um do, is there any i guess how do you tell the masses like where to find your music and like oh what's the best platform i mean vinyl's the best obviously yeah um i think through the anti oh jesus christ that is <laughs> that's my alarm to wake up oh. is what that was <laughs> that's responsible that's before <laughs> noon yeah um so uh, 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 I would say that um, through the Anticon web store is generally the best place to like get vinyl maybe, yeah. which is like Anticon.com. Right. Just go to their web store there or like uh, Boomcat or local record stores, honestly, is the best thing. If you're looking for like me online, yeah, I frequent Twitter more than anywhere else, more than Instagram or Facebook. Yeah. And my Twitter handle is Baths, B-A-T-H-S-M-U-S-I-C, Baths Music. And I'm like always on Twitter. It's my favorite shit. See, I don't, um, I, I don't tweet as much. It's, it's bonkers. So I totally understand people not being down or just being like, it's not for me. Cause it's, it's weird. It's a whole realm. It is. A um, whole, I mean, I started out on Twitter, you know, like I started with it, but then mm-hmm. I think that's as a visual artist, like Instagram works because you can kind totally, of just totally. dump. And you don't pictures. have to like explain things too. It's like, whereas like Twitter, it's like so text-based that it's yeah. like, it's a thing. It's so, a writer's medium. Yeah, exactly. Like Facebook, Instagram, all that shit, it's all the same. Yeah. That's music. And I would be giving you my Vine, but it doesn't exist anymore. But Vine uh, was my favorite social media That was thing. your thing? Oh, my fucking God. Do you I Snapchat? miss it every day. Is that like, no, I don't Snapchat. See, I'm too old. I'm not allowed. Snapchat is also too fleeting. The whole thing about Vine was that it was constructed. Yeah. And you could like take your time making a thing, a right. Vine, and people would be down with it. And it could like live its life, whereas Snapchat... Is intentionally fleeting, right? You know what I mean. It comes like none goes. of this is worth saving. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, next, um, <laughs> yeah. So that's how they can get. And you had handsome T-shirts at the show last yeah. night. <laughs> yes, I did. Were- Made by Chris Mukai. The artist's name is K R I S M U K A I, and nice. that's her uh, handle on Twitter as well, and I think Instagram, but I can't remember. But she's super talented. Yeah, those were cool. I'm obsessed with that shirt. Yeah, it's good stuff. And yeah. it's nice to to go to a show where it's like, yeah, yeah I got T-shirts and seven inches in the back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Nice. Real stuff. Yeah. And I was there selling it the Tangible whole things to to like hold, which is yes. nice. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for coming over. Thanks for taking out. I know you're super busy. So it's I appreciate a, you figuring out my weird scheduling no, with no, me to make it happen. It's been a pleasure. So thanks for coming over. Of course. Cool. Thanks. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. The music you are hearing now and the music you heard at the intro is by Will Weisenfeld, otherwise known as Baths, who I spoke with today. 
You can check out his music. It's on Spotify. It's on the internet. Um, just check out Baths. And if you get a chance, whenever he comes to a city near you, make sure you go see him live because it's an incredible show. Um, if you can, please leave a review and a rating on iTunes for Sound and Vision. It's really helpful. And spread the word. Email to your friends. Anyone you think is into music and art who might enjoy it, please share. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy some more baths. Thank you.